Today on the Topping Show, Magic the Gathering is now worth a billion dollars. Pam Queen introduced a bill to track all guns. Lockheed Martin wins a $1.2 billion contract for hypersonic missiles. All that, much, much more on the Topping Show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Today's episode of The Topping Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN and Topping Technologies. ExpressVPN helps protect your online data, and Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. have to say, he's quite handsome and brilliant. If you're a business in Texas, you can use some hand. You can reach us at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Jumping into the business section of the podcast, Hasbro's achieved a great feat. They now have their first billion-dollar brand, and it's Magic the Gathering, a card game, which has some pretty interesting cards. Some people collect it for the artistic value, some just because they're worth money, and some people actually play with the cards in tournaments, so some might call this pejorative, but basically Pokemon, but better graphics. The game was invented in 1993, and the Black Lotus card is the most valuable, with one being sold at auction for more than $500,000. And the ironic or the interesting part is, you, it's a card you can't use. So you're paying half a million dollars for a card that most tournaments ban because it's too good. It's just too big of an advantage over the other players. It's pretty impressive that such an old company, a legacy company, Hasbro, that this is the first one that's worth a billion dollars when this is the company that you know for most of your childhood dreams and toys. I mean, they invented G.I. Joe and Transformers, two of the largest brands in toy history, and now Hollywood history because they made both videos and movies for the Transformers toys with Shia Booth or Buff, as some might say. And G.I. Joe even had a couple of movies as well. So they're huge in pop culture, kids, adults, everyone's about them. But Magic the Gathering was the first to reach a billion in lifetime sales. Now, the interesting thing is that Hasbro actually posted a fourth quarter loss in 2022 of $128.9 billion. So it's been cutting, going to have to cut more of its workforce this year. So hopefully things will pick up for them. But toys are probably one of the first things people cut in a hard economy. Or, yeah, just one of those things where you can also make your own toys. Just go to Home Depot, get some wood, get a hammer, make your kids toys. Now, going on to the automotive, the Ford F-150 Lightning had some battery shipments explode. However, that's a little bit of little melodramatic. It wasn't on the street, didn't hurt any customers or end users. It actually occurred at an outdoor facility in, near Dearborn, Michigan, being their global headquarters. And it was in a facility where they actually checked for quality control. So they got pretty lucky. Of all the places your batteries could explode, that's literally the safest place to have it done. So it was, thankfully no one was hurt. And this is kind of copying or similar to other companies having it. They have had similar lithium-ion explosions with both BMW, Hyundai, General Motors. It's one of the downsides of lithium-ion battery technology people don't necessarily bring up enough is that it's a pretty volatile, pretty volatile thing to have. But then again, so is gasoline. But the main issue is with lithium fires is 
you can't really put them out unless you have the right equipment. So that's why if you go to a lot of like racing tracks in North America, many of them will say no Teslas or no electric vehicles. It's not because they don't like them or they think it's pejorative. Well, some might, but the main thing is safety. Because in order to safely put out a fire with an electric vehicle, you have to have the right materials to take that into account. So it'll be interesting to see if local fire departments start carrying that more and more so they can start combating that issue as more and more EVs are hitting the roads. But I don't know if they're necessarily more or less dangerous than traditional gas internal ice cars or internal combustion engines. Going into the defense industry, the U.S. Navy awarded Lockheed Martin with a contract for hypersonic missiles for $1.2 billion. These particular missiles are going to go on the U.S. Navy Zumwalt destroyers. And if you Google that or Brave Search it, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. It looks pretty neat. It's definitely not the destroyers we had during World War II or your grandpappy's destroyers. So they look pretty, they look pretty futuristic. And of course, there's reasons for that with radar detection or rather trying not to be deducted, detected. And that's why I have so many sharp angles. And it'll be interesting. Lockheed will provide the U.S. Navy with launchers, weapon control, and all integrations to link, link the missiles into these destroyers. So probably one of the most advanced pieces of technology that the U.S. is leading the world in is the defense industry, since I believe four out of the five top defense contractors on the planet are headquartered in the United States. You have Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, who else is on there? Those are the two biggest ones. You also have Raytheon, which is the engineering and production company behind most of the missiles that the U.S. government uses. The largest, and then you have General Dynamics, another one for vehicles and other types of military gear. And of course, the biggest one overseas would be BAE Systems, which makes a lot of pretty interesting armor, camouflage technology, as well as ordnance, explosive ordnance and such. So most of the companies are here, and still no surprised that we keep creating the most advanced technology on the planet. So there's one area that the U.S. still dominate, dominates, so that's good. Now, in terms of the culture, we actually have a bright or a little nice good story today, or a positive ending so there's a shooter in a texas mall however they were stopped by a armed citizen in el paso texas citizen was carrying a firearm and this hero's name was emmanuel duran who's a 38 year old male who stopped the threat of a 16 year old malicious actor who is taking advantage of a bad situation and hurting people and it's one of those things where the media in my opinion should stop saying the names of all these bad actors it's the same phenomenon. Most of these people, many of them, if they're not stopped by police, they're, they live and they're glorified with every news outlet, media outlet on the planet, repeating their name and they're on the news. They're famous. It's, that's a big reason why these, I can't think of it. Oh, these monsters do it. They just want to be fame so that everyone knows them forever. And they get exactly what they want. The media will talk about them for years. And no one ever talks about the heroes who stop the threats. So that's why I think Emmanuel should be given an award. And even more surprisingly, pretty altruistic, pretty generous of him. So after he shot the suspect, he, Emmanuel, and an off-duty police officer actually rendered aid to the suspect. So they actually helped him out a little bit. Another downside of the culture, however, is the increased use of um, fentanyl deaths in the United States. I read a report over the weekend about the 
the DEA report, they noted that in 2020, China was a primary source of fentanyl-related substances being manufactured, with many of the substance and substance components having them shipped to Mexico, which is a lot closer to the United States to be finished the manufacturing process and then release it into the United States. And according to the CDC, which they've lost a little bit of their branded recognition and their trust the past couple of years due to a couple of snafus as well as malicious act covering up data and such, they noted that I believe in 2020, 67% of all drug overdoses in the United States were directly from fentanyl incidents. And that number, going from percentage to actual number of people who died, was 71,941. Which is disgusting. That's something we should be able to stop, or at least mitigate to the best of our abilities. And it goes into one of those things where the United States, if you look at the rates of religious participation, those are dwindling. You look at it, the communities people take part of, those are dwindling. Most people don't even know their neighbors anymore, which is quite sad. So the communities, I think if you, if you could somehow reverse the rates in those two areas, you would have a lot less drug use because there would be, there'd be less people trying to escape the harsh reality or the sometimes harsh reality of their lives, perhaps. And I think that'd be a great thing. I don't know if it'll, it's a tough, might be a tall order, but it's always nice if you can know your neighbors or trust your neighbors and have a good support system. I got very fortunate when I moved into my rental and I have some fantastic neighbors who were all there for each other when you need each other. And if someone's having a hard time, we all come together and help them out. And hopefully we can see that. That'd be nice to become a trend. Now, according to the politics, which would be nice if this wasn't a political thing, however it is. So it looks at another firearm um, law is being introduced. Democratic Delegate Pam Queen of Maryland introduced House Bill 704. And in that bill, it requires guns to have a tracking device built into them from the factory to transmit to the Secretary of State. And if you go down to the details of the bill, the transmitting device must be one which is, quote, is not readily capable of being removed, disabled, or destroyed without rendering permanently inoperable or destroying the frame or receiver. And in the United States, when you look at the regulation of firearms, the frame or receiver, that's where the serial number of the gun is from a factory-produced gun. If you make your own gun for your own personal use, you don't need a serial number. Another interesting topic for another time, perhaps. And again, depending on your state, some states do require it, even if you make it for yourself. Now, this, they want to have that number on there, so the only way to get rid of that device would render the whole gun inoperable, and you couldn't just order parts online. For example, if you have a Glock, which is a very standard U.S., well, designed engineered in Austria, some of the models are made here, but... If, for example, the barrel cracks, you can just get a barrel off the internet. It doesn't fall into any regulations from a federal perspective. And the frame, that's the part with the serial number that is actually matters for tracking in the federal firearm license data. Or that's how it is tracked to the federal firearm database. Granted, when I say track, they're legally not supposed to have a database of civilians with what they own. When a gun store sells an item, they have the paperwork from that internally. So the gun stores have that, which all gun stores in the U.S. are FFLs or 
federal firearm licenses, licensee holders. Now, another bullet point from this bill is, quote unquote, the secretary shall establish a database to store the information about each bulk firearm transfer in the state. And there's a few things, it's a nice way of saying wrong. Disgusting? Well, wrong. There's, two, there's a few issues with that. Like most laws, the devil is in the details. When they say bulk, that could be one, that could be two, that could be three. That's not a quantifiable number. And whether it's goals in life or political or ideological ideas, you need to quantify it to have a more compelling argument and also so people actually understand it in real life. Regardless, that doesn't, that really doesn't encompass the reality of the situation since they're saying every gun has to have it. And then they say once it is sold in bulk transfer. Now, depending on how you define that, in the United States, the traditional supply chain or the sales chain of custody is a firearm company manufactures a firearm. They take that firearm, they sell it to a distribution unit. That distribution unit then sells it to a store. And the store then sells it to the individual or local law enforcement government. If it's an individual civilian, they file a, they have a paperwork process application. Think of it like a job application where the citizen has to fill out a 4473. And in addition, you also have the standard background check with the NICS system, which is how they figure out if you're a felon or not a felon. And obviously they approve or deny the sale of that firearm based on the background check and that paperwork. So once you take the gun home, there's no transmitting device and there's no database. That's, if you look at history, read any book on history and what evil portrayers always do is they confiscate the firearms, then they take over every single time. And the United States is exceptional in the fact that they believe civilians should have the right to defend their self and their family from all everything, foreign and domestic threats. And this would be not only a Second Amendment issue, but it's also a Fourth Amendment and privacy issue. Because once you give them this technology, there's nothing to limit it. They can turn that transmitting device whenever they want. And it's very similar when a lot of civilians, well, civilians lost their rights during the Patriot Act with all the phone logs where even, and they promised, oh, yeah, we're not collecting this data. And then thanks to the whistleblower, we found, in fact, they are collecting phone logs, not only who you're calling, when you're calling, but also the context. So the, the, um, there's a track record of this not working out. And here's another thing about technology. There's always a way to go around technology. That's why hackers exist, both good and bad actors and lawyers. They, they find a way. So with this one, even if you have the transmitting device, what, throw in the microwave, have an EMP, a micro EMP? There's going to be a way people smarter than me would have, be able to override that system. Then you have to ask yourself, is there going to be a battery in this? Or how How is this going to work? We, we need to charge it? So not only is it ineffective, it really is just to inhibit, handicap manufacturers of guns. And it's also going to hurt small businesses businesses who make guns because technology isn't cheap and they're going to have to do redesign the whole gun or redesign the whole engineering process, manufacturing process to put this piece of disgusting technology into it. And a good example of 
this working out exactly as they planned, which I suspect is being introduced and just to discourage firearm ownership and destroy the industry because they know they can't necessarily get rid of the Second Amendment. They, they can make it prohibitive or expensive, which is disgusting because you're not supposed to tax rights. Similarly, like, they can't tax you to go vote. You can't go vote and they charge. say, hey, welcome to the voting booth. Give me 20 bucks. But they do charge when you buy a gun, which I don't know why that's subject to sales tax personally. Now, in terms of a track record of this being a proven methodology, look at California. They require gun manufacturers to perform something called micro-stamping, which is a stupid technology, to say the least. It's not effective. It literally is a micro-stamp on components of the weapons and the ammo and the casings. I believe the casings passed. I'd have to double-check it, to be honest. But it increased the cost of the manufacturing process. So at the end of the day, if you look at California, they have a decreased market share of firearms. Only The only firearms there are the ones that are made by the massive manufacturers because they can take that cost into account and they can absorb that cost because they have the volume and the profit margins to justify it and actually make it into that market. A lot of companies can't break into the whole California, which is one of the largest markets in the United States. It is the largest market in terms of the number of users. And they just the barrier of entry is being increased because of that, because of that law. So I suspect that's another issue that this House Bill 704 is going to have if someone were to actually push back on it and this is in maryland i'll be interested to see how that plays out going over to a little bit of oil news so the oil, united states is going to sell another another 24 million barrels of oil from the strategic petroleum reserve which puts us at the lowest level since 1983 and if you look at the history of why did they have this new mechanism for storing oil and why the U.S., why do they think it'd be a good idea? Well, it occurred after the 1973 Arabian oil embargo. And they thought, hey, it's going to be a great way to maybe mitigate some risk. If there's a disruption in the supply chain, maybe the U.S. goes to war. Or maybe there's another oil embargo. Well, I guess that's be supply chain as well. So it's supposed to be, think of it as a rainy day fund. Very easy to understand. Now, some are speculating the reason the U.S. is doing it right now is to help avoid gas going to $4 a gallon over the summer. However, if you look at the how much oil is used in a single day, that's nothing. It, it, it might have a negligible impact on it, but I don't know. And, and lately, from a long time, many presidents have used this as a political tool. So if you look at two months before the 2022 midterms, the White House released 180 million barrels of oil. Now, even that much being said, only represented two days of a global oil demand. And I tried to do a little digging into what the U.S. demand was, but didn't get that far into it. But still not that much. And a lot of Americans, the U.S. used to be energy independent for the first time. I believe it was 2019. And there's a really good article. And that's thankfully in part because of the technology innovations in the fracking segment of the industry and that breakthrough technology. And it's interesting to note that, you know, Trump thought it'd be a good idea to buy back when COVID first hit, it was actually trading at a negative value, which is astronomical. And he suggested that the US government buy 20 or sorry, 75 millions of barrel of oil when the price per barrel was about $37.63. But then the people on the other side of the aisle said, oh no, this is, I mean, this is just a handout to the oil industries. Even though that 
at that price point that's pretty compelling i think it usually goes for 90 to 120 if you look at throughout historical values of oil barrels so shoot why not buy it while it's on the cheap but of course you guys didn't do that that would be a prudent business decision buy assets on the cheap saving for that rainy day where you actually need it then utilize the oil so it'll be interesting to see i suspect that 20 26 million will have certainly not going to erase any u.s debt and i doubt it'll have any in, impact on the price at the pump down to the fun business blunder of the day white castle made a 15 billion dollar mistake thanks to the illinois supreme court which if they need to sell sliders they would need to sell 23 billion sliders which i'm told that's one of their micro burgers or mini burgers wherever they make and the illinois supreme court ruled in a 4-3 decision that they will be held accountable and this is an instance in which they were collecting employee data without permission that data being fingerprints so if an employee wanted to check their pay stubs and do any of that in terms of accessing companies uh, sensitive co uh, company data they need to use their fingerprint to scan in and they started this practice many years ago and this case was first brought forth in 2004 and they've been fighting it out ever since now the issue is they're going to be charged per infraction and they have 9,500 employees and they didn't start asking for permission until for decades after 2004. So I believe it was 2018 was around when they were start, they started to ask employee permissions. Can we use your thumbprint as a mechanism to access these sensitive documents and sensitive data? So it's one of those things where the larger the business is, the more you need to check with the lawyers and your local, both state federal government laws, because you have to play and make sure you're buying by them. Cause this fast food is not a extremely profitable business. You look at the historicals it's a lot like walmart they make it by the volume which is why i just said if you're gonna have to sell 23 billion sliders to pay for this they have some other things that help offset you have the soda fountain drinks those are a lot more profitable but it'll be interesting to see what this does to that business and what what's in store for their future it's certainly a longtime brand a lot of people know about it and they certainly have the sales or the historical sales to have the business grow over the years but it'll be interesting to see, but for them not to have a cadre of litigation and expert lawyers looking at every decision they make before they take the action, which is important. It's unfortunate because it's of course, just by that very formula of double and triple checking before you take an action, you are slowing down the business inevitably, and it's making it less efficient. And it's also one of those things where your comp competition is fierce. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to White Castle, but that is without a doubt the biggest blunder of the day. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies. Just y'all stay safe, fight the good fight.